Welcome to the Michigan Opportunity, an economic development podcast featuring candid conversations with business leaders across Michigan. You'll hear firsthand accounts from Michigan business leaders and innovators about how the state is driving job growth and business investment, supporting a thriving entrepreneurial ecosystem, building vibrant communities, and helping to attract and retain one of the most diverse and significant workforces in the nation. Hello, this is Ed Clementi. I'm your host today. We're glad to have John DeMaio with us. He is the president and graphing division of Graphics Group Limited and the CEO of Graphics Technologies. And welcome to the show, John. Well, thanks, Ed. Great to be here. You got a long title. I think uh, you're going to probably break that and unpack that for us at some point of what all the different things are you do. And um, we should also mention, uh, I think you're coming from California, correct? I'm I'm dialing in from California. Rainy California right now. Yeah, well... Might need the rain sometimes. Yes, we always do. Yeah. And so, uh, John, why don't you, you know, it's not like graphene graphics rolls off the tongue always. So if you go to a party, what do you tell people kind of what you do when you meet someone? Yeah. You know, the uh, the quick pitch for folks that that are, you know, somewhat you know, aware of the electric vehicle kind of proliferation. In simple terms, we provide the graphite that goes into the batteries of electric vehicles. It's a major component of those batteries. It's a necessary component. So where most of the um, attention is placed on the, as we refer to it, the the more sexier metals like lithium and cobalt and nickel, um, about up to 40% of the battery is comprised of graphite. And we provide that graphite. Yeah, I, I, it's so funny because I've probably listened to, you know, a ton of podcasts and listened to speakers about it. But the actual elements that go in are pretty interesting because it's, you know, I've, I listened to one podcast where they talked about who are going to be the new sort of electro states versus petro states, you know, where you get materials from. Right. And so the rare metals is sort of interesting. And I, I know you just went over it, but can you kind of break down, you know, not that there's any scientists listening, but I think it's pretty important. Sort of people realize that this is not really that easy to just make these batteries like simply, right? No, no, there's a lot of science that goes into it. You know, to start with the basics, <clears throat> you know, it, any kind of battery, even the ones in the flashlight, they're comprised of four basic elements. You've got a cathode, an anode, a separator, which separates the two, those are basically the two electrodes, cathode, anode, separator, and electrolyte. Electrolyte providing the medium for the electrons to travel back and forth. So in a battery during charge, the electrons go from one to the other. Um, During discharge, they go the opposite direction. So from cathode to anode, anode back to cathode. And that happens multiple times during charging and discharging cycles. So the cathode side of the battery is where a lot of the attention is placed. So that depending again on the configuration, there are lithium iron phosphate batteries, there are nickel manganese cobalt type batteries, and that all refers to the cathode chemistry, right? And and there's multiple configurations and each battery company is, you know, uh, experimenting if you will, and using what they feel is the best solution for their vehicle. And in battery technology, the holy grail right now is for fast charging and long cycle life, 
right? So long distance, long range, et cetera. And there's usually historically been a trade-off between the two. So cathode side, again, made up of, of the exotic metals, again, lithium, cobalt, nickel, manganese. The anode side is almost entirely graphite and sometimes a combination of natural and synthetic graphite, but 95 to up to 100% of the anode is currently, um, and for the foreseeable future, comprised of graphite. Did you have a question, Ed? Yeah, I, I was just going to say, too, that, um, you know, like it sounds like everyone has sort of their own recipe somewhat for how to do this, not to equivocate it to cooking, but but also probably I would guess like the payloads, you know, like, do heavier vehicles need different kinds of batteries or is it really subjective to the sort of the, uh, you know, the whims of what the OEMs want or whatever? Yeah, that's a great question. So battery size can vary, right? So, you know, a Hummer, I think the battery in a Hummer, uh, the electric Hummer may weigh up to like 8,000 pounds or something crazy. It's, it's a, it's a huge battery. Um, whereas a Tesla model S, maybe about 400 pounds. Um, and the, the number of cells, and there are, again, different configurations of the battery cell itself. Um, probably the most typical is a, a cylindrical cell, looks more or less like a, an overgrown flashlight battery, uh, the jelly roll configuration as it's called. Um, then there are you know prismatic, which are basically square batteries and, and others called pouch batteries. but if you think about a Tesla Model S, there could be, or, or a Tesla, different models, there could be from 800 to 1800 of those individual cells that go into the battery packs that make up the battery. So depending on, on the vehicle and, and how it's intended to be used, whether it's passenger, SUV, you know, off-road, et cetera, or, you know, uh, uh, pickup truck, for example, that will to some degree determine mostly the size of the battery, but also in some cases, you know, the, um, uh, the configuration of the cells themselves. Now that's an area that really is in the um, purview of the battery cell ma makers and the automakers. We, you know, um, get in at a more basic level in just providing the type of graphite they need to, um, to fulfill that recipe, as you called it, right? So depending on, on how they're approaching their cathode and anode configuration, and there are, as you can imagine, you know, hundreds or thousands of variables that go into it. And it really is up to, um, as we call them, the chef that is, uh, you know, configuring that battery chemistry per what they're trying to get the performance to be. So, now that I'm doing a great job of taking you off the questions I was going to ask you, but I'm still going to get to some of those. But so this is just a weird question because of the um, I, we interviewed somebody not too long ago. We talked a little bit about the semiconductors. Do individual batteries have their own sort of like semiconductors or chips, too? Or is that totally integrated to the to the more of the frame of the vehicle? That's really, you know, and again, a little bit outside my purview, but really the, the battery is is. It's complex, but it's simple. It really is just the, the uh, repository for charging and discharging. The battery management systems is where you get into all of the, the really um, uh, 
elaborate kind of controls and monitoring and safety issues and whatnot. You know, the battery is there to charge and discharge as, as efficiently and effectively as it can. Um, the rest of the, um, of the system is on top of that, if you will, um, or, or really just taking information from the battery and managing, you know, the rest of the vehicle, including battery performance and, you know, uh, power needs, et cetera. So a little bit outside my purview, but that's, that's a basic understanding. Batteries do what batteries do. And the rest of the, the car is there to, you know, uh, control, monitor and um, extract maximum performance from it. Yeah. And, and I appreciate you doing that too, because I think a lot of people just think this is like magic and it's not, you know, but there is science. And I should mention, uh, you are our New Yorker originally, actually. So you're coast to coast, right? I am. I am. And what? Where'd you grow up? I forgot you told me somewhere around New York City, uh, Bronx. Or? Yes. Well, I grew up no on Staten Island. Staten Island. That's right. Okay. At, uh, at the time, it was the forgotten borough, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, now it's it's become a little bit more prominent with things like Pete Davidson and unfortunately things like mob wives, but. Um, when I grew up there, which was a while ago, it was it was very nice. In fact, it was um, without hopefully not dating myself too much. Um, in historic times, you know, people from the city, right, Manhattan, Bronx, et cetera, they they would vacation on Staten Island. Oh, so wow. we had a very nice uh, waterfront, you know, uh, boardwalk, et cetera. Uh, has since kind of gone into you know kind of disrepair and whatnot, but it was nice. It was a nice place to grow up. Yeah, and and you got your degree uh, from Cornell, right, upstate. I did. Yes, Big Red. Cor- yeah, Cornell's a beautiful university, isn't it? One of the most pretty in in the country. You know, uh, it does get some snow, but you know, between the um, the gorges, as they call them, you know. Uh, um, and just the, the lushness of, of that area in New York, it's a, it's a wonderful campus. You're listening to The Michigan Opportunity, featuring candid conversations with Michigan business leaders on what makes Michigan a leading state to live, work, and play. Listen to more episodes at michiganbusiness.org forward slash podcast. Let's um, sort of get to why I think, you know, you your good guest for the show is, you recently did some investing into Michigan and can you kind of, cause I know you've got a really rich background in this field, but can you tell us how you sort of came to Michigan and you know, why yeah. you came here? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, part of it was, uh, was we'll call it happenstance, but you know, things that a lot of times I, I believe they happen for a reason. Right. So um, we had made the decision as a company to expand, you know, into the U.S. and and look at Europe as well, and this was even before you know um, it it became quote unquote fashionable, right? So late you know uh, or early late twenty early twenty one, um, you know the company made a conscious decision that you know the, the electric vehicle um, revolution was here. Um, we had already I think you might have mentioned this. You know we have current operations uh, in China where the electric vehicle industry is, you know, decades ahead of the rest of the world, really. So, um, and we can get to that in a second about why we operate in China, et cetera. Um, but we made a decision to move, you know, to expand into the U.S. and to bring, you know, to share basically our expertise that we had um, amassed over the last decade or so and bring that, you know, to, to the U.S. to support, you know, the, electric, the electrification movement. 
so, you know, obviously the canvas was pretty blank as to where we would, we would look to, to locate. So um, we did have a, a kind of a, a loose connection, if you will, to um, a site in Warren where um, we were familiar with the, um, the rehabilitation that was going on at this particular business park uh, in Warren uh, called the Emerald Business Park. And um, we were aware of that, of that property, but we, you know, we decided to take a more, you know, um, uh, a wider look. And we worked, you know, we wanted Michigan. We, we targeted Michigan because that's where the automotive industry was kind of born. And whether that's a nostalgic look or not, that's, that gave us a, a reason to focus on Michigan. And the more we looked, the more we liked because we really felt like, you know, as part of not just bringing technology over, but why not bring it uh, to an area that was A, familiar with automotive, but B, would benefit, you know, from um, the electrification movement, right? And the more we learned about, the, you know, the city of Warren and kind of what went on there, you know, basically meaning the exodus of a lot of industry, particularly automotive, over the, sever- the past several decades, we really looked hard at whether, it would make sense for us to do, um, you know, to, to install a plant there. And the more we looked, the more we found, like I said, the more we liked. The site itself had some advantageous uh, kind of qualities to it. Um, first of all, the group that was rehabilitating it are native Michiganders, right? It's a, a small group of, of folks that uh, born and raised in the area in and around Warren and, and Detroit. And they were, you know, they had been successful in other areas, but they wanted to kind of reinvest and redevelop um, the area that they knew. So they had already started to rehabilitate this particular property. And this property had been, I think the last tenants there were called Utilite. And they were a, um, a uh, what do you want to call it, a undercoating, um, rust waterproofing or rustproofing kind of a operation that supported I think Chrysler primarily, but other car companies. So it was already an automotive kind of facility and had been lying dormant for for a number of years. So this group of Michiganders was in the process of rehabilitating that. They had um, uh, done brownfield remediation. Um, They had started to uh, lease out parts of the uh, structures to, at the time, I think it was cannabis growers and cannabis processors. Um, and as a result of that, or as part of that, they decided, the, the, uh, the group decided to bring in a power substation to support, you know, the power needs of what they thought would be, you know, more and more kind of cannabis uh, operations. So when we looked at the site, um, it hadn't been fully rehabbed yet. Uh, there were certain parts of it that were ideal for housing our process, right? Um, and the fact that our process is somewhat energy intensive, the fact that there was a power substation already built on the property and just about ready to be energized uh, really would short circuit a, a longer if we were to approach a greenfield project. So we, we factored all those things together and said, you know what, this seems like this feels right, you know, that uh, we can bring jobs back to a city you know, like Warren that has suffered some in the past, that we would bring technology 
from Asia to the States, which is kind of counter to what's been going on and what the concern has been over the last several decades. Um, and we felt like we could, you know, we would be in the backyard of, you know, the major players. Um, so that was, that was really what drove us, you know, to, to make that decision. Um, and we're happy about it. And, you know, we're, we look forward to, to, to getting that plant fired up. You know, that's a great story on many levels, really, to me. I mean, as someone who used to do a lot of economic development and brownfield work, but I think the one key thing in there is that that substation, because I don't think people realize how much electricity you need to also make batteries, right? Uh-huh. Isn't it? It's pretty intensive, and you almost have to have your own sort of uh, controllable sort of source a little bit, right? Is that why that's very attractive, too, that? Is that a big thing? Uh, to have the, the, the power is definitely a, of, um, of major importance, right? Um, having, you know, ample power and stable power um, as economic, <laughs> economically as you, can, as you can get it is definitely a big factor, you know, in, in any processing, but in, in ours in particular, um, you know, so that was a very important uh, point. And, um, you know, uh, I would like you also to, because I know you've mentioned onshoring now somewhat, but you also talked to me a little bit ahead of time about you have some other maybe potential opportunities down the line that you might be either, you know, not maybe, I don't know if they're all in China, but specifically you might be wanting to come back to the United States, North America, but uh, tell me about what you want to do with those things too. Yeah. So uh, maybe a good place to start is with what the overall demand picture looks like. Um, you know, so when you look at the, um, the announcements that have been made by the automakers and their associated, uh, battery, uh, counterparts in the next several years, there could be the equivalent demand, meaning for the number of vehicles they want to put out and the number of batteries that will be needed to support those, there could be a demand for graphite for over 500,000 tons of finished product. Uh, the plant in Michigan that we're targeting is going to produce about 15,000 tons per year, uh, which is a pretty good number. And that's, that's, that's a, a, a nod of the hat to our commercial expertise, right? But at 15,000 tons versus 500, there's obviously much more demand than supply. So, you know, as much as the Michigan site is, is very advantageous to plant a flag and get, get to operations quickly, um, it doesn't, it's more or less landlocked, right? Because it's, uh, it's relatively small when you think about what we need to produce something, you know, a quantity that can take a dent out of that 500,000. So we are looking at, at other sites that would be much, uh, afford a much larger footprint. Um, and we're looking at sites in Michigan as well, right? But we're looking at, at sites all around the, uh, the US and, and some in Canada that can supply the, not only the land area, but have you know power available, um, logistics right for shipments of materials in and out, et cetera. Um, so we're looking at at uh, doing those things in parallel, right? So to establish that that Warren facility, uh, but also to um, to address an industry wide need, right? Um, and that's really what we're we're trying to do is be supportive of this whole transition to electrification by being you know our our what we supply is a foundational element, like I mentioned, the graphite that goes into the batteries. We want to supply not only the graphite, but also the support as a 
a contributor to the ecosystem to be a, a good player within the industry, right? So we occupy what's called the midstream. Uh, we take material, we don't do mining, but we take material from graphite mines and we transform it through a series of processes into the anode material that goes into the batteries. So we have, you know, um, in the midstream, we have uh, variability on both ends. So we have the access, the ability to access raw materials from multiple sources and, you know, those sources being in free trade countries, you know, that are um, closer like Canada, even in the U S you know, if, and when the, those resources come online, South America, Australia, Southern Africa. So we have the ability to vary our input stream, which gives flexibility to the industry. And we have the ability to match the needs of the customer base. So by operating in that midstream and having the experience we do, we feel like we're very well positioned to, again, to be successful as a company, but more importantly, to be a, an integral and, and um, responsible player to uh, keep this electrification movement moving, moving, so to speak. So we're, we're, we're proud of, of the space that we occupy and we really look forward to, you know, being a, an integral part of that whole ecosystem, you know, for the foreseeable future. Yeah, and actually in the last few minutes of the podcast, just a couple more questions, but um, is there any other future trends you didn't get a chance to mention or do you think you kind of covered them all for that, at least for your? Well, there are, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of activity in the, in the space, right? And there's a lot of, of technologies that are um, emerging that are, you know, being floated out there. And, and there's always room for improvement. Right. So um, we have been doing what we do for for a long period of time, but we consistently um, look for, you know, leading edge, bleeding edge, you know, uh, technologies that might be disruptive that can make a big difference. Um, you know, we see and hear a lot of, of potential, you know, uh, trends, particularly around um, our side of the battery, which is the anode side. You know, there's the, the, a lot of discussion around silicon being a very um, uh, attractive material, very conductive, as we know from Silicon Valley, et cetera, um, and a potential replacement for, for graphite. Um, a lot of challenges with the use of just 100% silicon as a nanode material uh, without getting too technical. You know, there's an expansion issue, there's a, a shelf life issue, and there's a, a morphology kind of uh, issue that, that, yeah, again, companies are trying to deal with. But, you know, so we keep a, a close tab on battery chemistry developments, um, you know, how graphite plays and, and doesn't play in that, um, you know, how we can assist with the um, advancement of technology. So we're not just, you know, we, we're not just happy to be graphite processors. We are taking an active role in research and development and look forward to working closely with battery companies and automakers and universities for that matter um, to advance, you know, to use and, and um, share what we've learned over the last 15 years um, to advance, you know, the, uh, the system and the, um, you know, the ecosystem of, of battery tech. Well, I think you and I could probably talk for an hour because I'm just naturally curious about a lot of these things, but I think, you know, it's very relevant to how the world's moving right now at a macro level as well. Um, 
So your very last question is a simple one. Uh, you've been around the world. You've lived, I think, uh, different places. But is there any advice you would give your sort of uh, 17-year-old self if you were looking for a career today? You know, well, it's a great question. Yeah, I think it's the same advice I, I try to give my kids. You know, it reminds me of a, I forget what song it is, but I, I tell them, you know, listen as much as you hear, right? So definitely listen to, uh, you know, listen to yourself, right? And, and follow your dream. I mean, everybody says that. But when you're out there, you know, be a constantly learning, right? No matter how, how much you think you may know about any particular subject, constantly listen, constantly learn, right? And, and be a, a good uh, contributor, right? Uh, always try to do, you know, leave any situation better than when you found it. And that, that's, that's worked for me. Um, you know, it, it gets me excited every day to see what we can do to advance, you know, the human condition, if you will, um, in some small way, right? You know, when you think about graphite production, it doesn't seem to be a world-changing thing, uh, but it does play a part in something that is changing the world. You know, so for me, you know, I've been a part of this energy transition uh, long before it was called that. Right. So I spent time in, in uh, energy management, energy production, solar, you know, water, wastewater and the energy, the water, energy nexus, et cetera, et cetera. And I've, I've never been as excited as I am right now about the fact that the momentum is so overwhelming. Um, you know, it, it hasn't been in my experience where all of the forces that are required for change have aligned so well, meaning you've got political uh, will, you've got. Um, you know, societal will to to change, to move away from you know fossil fuel as much as possible, and that is is a really beautiful thing. So you know, intention, ambition has led to intention. Intention has led to legislation. Legislation has led to um, you know uh, funding, and that's never been aligned quite like that in anything before. Um, I think you and I have probably seen this happen with solar, et cetera where the ambitions are there and then there's a misalignment usually somewhere in that food chain and it doesn't really happen as much as it will. The electrification of mobility, it's happening. This is a one-way trip. Uh, we're not going back, you know, to proliferating uh, internal combustion. You know, there may be a technology, you know, in the future that, that even is even better, but for the foreseeable future, you know, electric vehicles is, is where we're going. Great to be part of that. Yeah, that was really well put. And sorry to shorten it for you, but I want to thank you, John, for being on the show today again. My pleasure, Ed. Yeah. And once again, you're the president of Graphing Division of Graphex, which is a group limited and it's a CEO of Graphics Technologies. Thanks again, John, for taking time. And I know you called from California, so we appreciate you working it into your schedule today. My pleasure, Ed. Anytime you want to continue the conversation, I'm available. Well, I hope you move everything here to Michigan, but I know you got a lot of decisions to make. You bet. <laughs> All right. We'd like to do that too. Join us next week where our guest is Dawn Hines. She's the CEO of Hines Industries, a family-owned business that does a lot with manufacturing, and we look forward to hearing what she has to say. The Michigan Opportunity is brought to you by the Michigan Economic Development Corporation. Join us and make your mark where it matters. Visit michiganbusiness.org forward slash radio to put your plans in motion.